For over 70 years, Oshner has been dedicated to cancer research and new cancer treatment development, bringing innovations to the fight against cancer, including more clinical trials than anywhere else in the region. I'm Dr. Jonathan Mizrahi with the Oshner Cancer Institute. One of the most common complaints I hear from my patients when I first meet them to discuss their cancer diagnosis and treatment plan is that there is a lack of reliable, available information about cancer. Evaluating what is or isn't a credible source of information on the internet is challenging, even for the most experienced of Googlers. We are seeking to fill that gap by providing the public with understandable, reliable information about cancer. Join me as we talk to healthcare experts at Oshner about what you need to know should you or a loved one receive a cancer diagnosis. Welcome to All In Against Cancer. In this episode, we are joined by medical oncologist Dr. Lingling Du and interventional radiologist Dr. Andrew Marsala to discuss neuroendocrine cancer and the Oshner Neuroendocrine Tumor Program. Dr. Du and Dr. Marsala will share their expertise on the signs and symptoms of neuroendocrine tumor, how they are diagnosed, and what treatments are available at Oshner. The Oshner Neuroendocrine Tumor Program is one of the largest net programs in the country and is a leader in the diagnosis and management of all forms of neuroendocrine tumors. So welcome, Dr. Du, Dr. Marsala, to the show. I appreciate you guys both coming on to talk about this relatively uncommon type of cancer. Thank you for having us. Glad to be here. So before we get into the uh, nitty-gritty here, let's just start with a little bit of uh, background for those who don't know us. So uh, let's start with Dr. Du. Tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, what brought you here to New Orleans. Hi, I'm Lingling Du. I went to med school in Peking University in China, and then after I graduated, I went to Cleveland and uh, did residency there at the Cleveland Clinic, and after that, I moved to St. Louis and did fellowship uh, with hematology oncology at WashU in St. Louis. After that, I, after I graduated, I moved to New Orleans and joined Oshner, and that was many years ago. Lingling was such an influence on me that I followed in her footsteps from WashU to Oshner as well. So thank you for, for pulling me here, Lingling. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Uh, Dr. Marsala, what about you? Tell me about your background and uh, how you ended up here at Oshner. Sure. So uh, I'm from Louisiana. I uh, grew up in North Louisiana in Shreveport. I trained and um, went to medical school in Shreveport and then went to Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas for my radiology residency. After residency, I went out to UCLA for my vascular and interventional radiology fellowship. And then I made it here in 2018. So I've been at Oxner for a little over four years, and I've been treating neuroendocrine tumors for uh, a little over four years. So glad to be here. Awesome. Obviously glad to work with both of you. So let's get into it. Uh, Dr. Du, I'll start with you. Can you just define what we're talking about when we talk about a neuroendocrine tumor? Neuroendocrine tumors, they're also called carcinoid tumors. They are cancers that begin in specialized cells called neuroendocrine cells. These cells have features similar to those of nerve cells and hormone-producing cells. That's why it's called neuroendocrine cells. Neuroendocrine tumors are very, very rare. They can literally occur anywhere in the body. Uh, most commonly, it's, they start in the lungs, stomach, small bowel, appendix, colon, rectum, and pancreas. Neuroendocrine tumors are actually a wide spectrum of disease. On one end, there are low-grade neuroendocrine tumors that grow very, very slowly and can take years 
to years and years before it double in size. On the other hand, there are high-grade neuroendocrine tumors that grow very fast. So I think that's a, a really helpful overview. You know, I find neuroendocrine tumors quite peculiar because they can be so discordant.、Um, you have some, like you said, that are very slow-growing and can be managed very, very differently, both in terms of surgical treatments or interventional treatments or even medical treatments and pharmaceutical treatments. Uh, than ones that are quickly growing.、Um, you know, we have some examples of famous people who have had neuroendocrine tumors, and、uh, folks like Steve Jobs, Aretha Franklin, are both people that passed away from pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors.、Uh, those are examples of some of the more aggressive ones. And then other people can have very indolent, slow-growing neuroendocrine cancers, and and often,、um, you know, will have intermittent treatments for those cancers. So it's it's definitely a fascinating cancer. Tell me a little bit, Doctor Du, about some of the signs and symptoms、uh, of neuroendocrine cancers. So, whenever people have cancer, they can have pain from a growing cancer, usually a rapidly growing cancer. Of course, when they have low-grade neuroendocrine tumors that grow very slow, they may not have the pain because the cancer just grows too slowly. And、uh, some neuroendocrine tumors can secrete large amount of hormones that can cause a group of symptoms called Carcinoid syndrome, which include flushing, diarrhea, wheezing, feeling very short of breath, having rapid heartbeats. A lot of patients actually don't have symptoms at all and have it detected incidentally.、Um, for instance, a lot of patients come see me after they undergo an upper endoscopy like EGD for other reasons, or they just undergo a routine colonoscopy to screen for colon cancer and was incidentally found out to have a usually low-grade neuroendocrine tumors. And these、uh, neuroendocrine tumors found out. Um, by, ac- by, by accident, usually are small and very slow growing. Right. So you can have this carcinoid syndrome, like you said, with all those symptoms, or what I would say for most people is they they don't have any symptoms of their neuroendocrine tumors, and they're found incidentally, just as you mentioned. Exactly.、Mm-hmm. Dr. Marsala, let's talk through a little bit about how we diagnose these patients. So there are a lot of different techniques, procedures, imaging.、Um, talk me through some of those that we use to actually make the diagnosis. Sure. So the diagnosis—it's、um, a lot of times, as you mentioned,、uh, patients、um, may not have very many symptoms, or they may have vague symptoms. So the patients are usually imaged for one reason or another.、Uh, they get a CT scan for a vague abdominal pain or an ultrasound,、um, and that's usually the first、uh, indicator that they may have something going on.、Um, they may also、um, be getting an、um, endoscopic procedure, maybe because they have stomach issues and they see something there that needs to be biopsied. So. So it's common for patients to、um, come to us from、um, outside hospitals, having had some sort of imaging, and then maybe have had a biopsy of that imaging, and, they, and the biopsy demonstrates or reveals a neuroendocrine tumor. A common site for these tumors to, to spread is the liver, which is、um, easily biopsied typically, and we evaluate those further. Those tumors with MRI.、Um, That helps us get a really good look at, at what's in the liver,、um, and then also there's other imaging specific to neuroendocrine tumors. You might have heard of a gallium 68 PET CT scanning or copper 64 PET CT scanning. These are very specialized scans that detect specifically neuroendocrine tumors, and it gives us a good idea where those tumors may lie in the body, how far they've spread.、Uh, is there something else that we maybe need to go after, or a biopsy, or surgically remove? 
There's also blood tests that uh, that we can do to sometimes um, see if the patient has a measurable marker for the tumor. And occasionally you'll find a, uh, a lesion in the pancreas um, that maybe needs to be biopsied and a patient might need to go to back to endoscopy and have a specialized endoscopic biopsy where they do um, do the biopsy at that time um, to see if perhaps that's where the tumor came from. So it's it can be convoluted at times, but being able to diagnose this tumor, it's basically we have a toolkit and we're trying to use everything we've got to find out what it is, where it is, and what we can do about it. So, Dr. Dew, talk to me a little bit about a patient has a biopsy. Ultimately, that's going to be what's important. We do all these other imaging tests and Dr. Marsala, one of his team members, does a biopsy maybe of the liver. What are these pathologists? What are our doctors who are looking in the microscopes? What are they looking for from these biopsy samples? So we actually have excellent specialized pathologists here with our Oshner Neuroendocrine Tumor uh, Program that they really, they're like very trained to look at these uh, neuroendocrine tumor samples. What they're trying to look at is um, whether this is a neuroendocrine tumor or not, because I think uh, it's not uncommon for a neuroendocrine tumor to be confused with other type of cancer and people have like were misdiagnosed. So they can tell whether this is a neuroendocrine tumor at all. And once they found out that this is neuroendocrine tumor, I think most importantly for them to comment on whether this is, say, what what we call a well-differentiated or poorly differentiated neuroendocrine tumor, and what is the grade of the cancer? Like, how fast is it grow? Is it a slow-growing tumor, what we call low-grade cancer, or is it a high-grade tumor that will grow very, very fast? Exactly. And I think the importance of having a specialized pathologist should not be overlooked because the implications of having a low-grade and or a well-differentiated neuroendocrine tumor is, it's very different. Exactly. Than, so Than having a, a high-grade or a poorly differentiated. Exactly. Grade. Like poorly differentiated, high-grade, we probably need to jump on treatment, usually chemotherapy right away. Whereas for slow-growing, like low-grade, well-differentiated neuroendocrine tumor, some people may not even need any treatment at all. Right. And some of these tests, so Dr. Marsala mentioned these specialized PET imaging tests that are very specific for neuroendocrine tumors, they can also help delineate, you know, if this is one of these more aggressive neuroendocrine tumors or or one of the less aggressive, but nothing really beats a biopsy looking at it under the microscope, right? Yeah, I think a Definitely. good uh, specialized pathologist is really the key. Yeah, one of the things we've noticed um, in, in treating patients from all over the country is that sometimes they come with pathology um, having already been done, but the pathology is not really adequate to really get a good idea of what's going on. We have to reinterpret that pathology uh, in order to, uh, to best treat the patient. Moving on to treatments. So talk with me first, Dr. Du, uh, about what our different treatment options are for patients with neuroendocrine tumors and how that is different based on how aggressive that cancer is. Yeah, so it depends on like uh, whether it's low-grade or high-grade, whether it's slow-growing or rapidly growing, and uh, the extent of disease, whether it's like localized or has spread to other parts of the body. Some patients with neuroendocrine tumors need surgery either to completely resect the tumor or sometimes resect the majority of the tumors, what we call debulking surgery. Medical treatment-wise, most patients with metastatic or stage 4 um, low-grade neuroendocrine tumor, they do need what we call a somatostatin analog to slow down the production of hormones from this tumor and, and also slow down the growth of the tumor. And these medications include octreotide or what we call senostatin and also lanreotide. 
When patients progress on sendostatin or lariotide, we have chemotherapy medications that can help control the tumor growth. There's also a very special treatment called PRRT, peptide receptor radionuclide therapy. With PRRT, patients receive radioactive drugs that directly bind to neuroendocrine tumors and kill the cancer cells with radiation. Patients with cancers that spread to the liver can sometimes undergo local regional therapy to the liver, which means injecting medications directly into the cancer spots in the liver. And this is done by interventional radiology. We have our wonderful interventional radiologist, Dr. Masala here, who's really the expert in it. He can tell us more about the local regional therapy to the liver. Sure. Thanks, Dr. Du. So with the uh, the tumors in the liver, we have many different options. The liver is an essential organ. When tumors grow in the liver, it can cause problems. And uh, liver tumors themselves can be a driver of mortality. I'd like to divide the two types of treatments into embolotherapies or embolization-based procedures and then ablation, uh, which is um, procedures done through the skin in this particular case. So the, the two embolization procedures that uh, are actually three embolization procedures that I think patients ought to kind of be familiar with would be chemoembolization, bland embolization, and radioembolization. And all these treatments basically involve putting a catheter into the artery that supplies blood to the liver or a part of the liver and injecting something. That something is designed to kill or hurt the tumor in some way. With chemoembolization, it's chemotherapy as well as some um, some what we call microspheres to try and slow down the blood flow into the tumor. With the bland embolization, it's just the microspheres themselves trying to slow down the blood flow into the tumor or deprive the tumor of blood. And then with the radioembolization, that's your injecting radioactive particles into the uh, blood supply of the tumor, and then that's the radioactivity that will actually uh, damage and kill the tumor. With the ablation procedures, you're going to use CT or ultrasound to, uh, as guidance as you insert specialized needles through the skin into the liver and into the tumor, and then you're, gonna, you're actually going to cook the tumor from the inside out with this microwave ablation needle. This works really well for tumors that aren't too big or aren't uh, that are in certain locations, and if they're not too many tumors, this is a great option. Um, but we use all these tools in a complementary way to try and, and take care of tumors in the liver while preserving liver function and, and uh, making sure patients can keep going and um, maintain good quality of life. And something we'll definitely get into a little bit later is the importance of a multidisciplinary approach to these patients, right? So we have all these different tools. We have liver-directed therapies. We have PRT. We have chemo. We have uh, somatostatin analogs and all these different uh, – and surgery, of course. And all these different tools have their roles in individual patients. And what can't be discounted is how much it matters for all of us to get in the same room and, and really figure out what's best for each individual patient based on their pathology, based on their disease, based on their comorbid conditions, and based on what we really think is going to be in the best interest of the patient. So another question that we frequently get is, is what are the risk factors for neuroendocrine tumors? And, you know, I'll address that. And that's primarily that we we don't really know. Um, a lot of the uh, patients who, uh, in fact, most patients who come in with a neuroendocrine tumor, we don't really have a great explanation for why they developed this. Uh, it's it's not necessarily they had a family history or they smoked too many cigarettes or something like that that we do in these other cancers. We often can't pinpoint it. We do note that there are some syndromes, some conditions that can be associated. These are conditions like uh, multiple endocrine neoplasia. That's MEN syndrome. There's a type 1, 2, 4. Uh, there's uh, mutations in SDH or VHL, von Hippel-Lindau. 
uh, and, and as well as tuberous sclerosis and neurofibromatosis. These are certain conditions that can be associated with neuroendocrine tumors. But again, for the vast majority of patients, we don't really have a great explanation for why they developed a neuroendocrine tumor. Dr. Du, I have a question for you. Tell me a little bit about what are the general outcomes? What's the prognosis of patients with a neuroendocrine tumor? I think that's a question that's on the forefront of a lot of patients, understandably so, when they're newly diagnosed. Yeah, exactly. So life expectancy widely varies, like we discussed before. For well-differentiated low-grade neuroendocrine tumors, they grow very, very slowly. So patients can live for years and years. Sometimes people live for years and years even without any treatment. On the other hand, poorly differentiated high-grade neuroendocrine tumors, they are very aggressive and grow extremely fast. Sometimes patients may only have a few months to a year to live. So for our next section, how do we treat neuroendocrine tumors at Ashner? So I'm going to ask you guys to kind of weigh in a little bit here. How are we treating neuroendocrine tumors at Oshner? What should a patient expect if they come through the Oshner neuroendocrine tumor program? I think our biggest advantage here is really we have a team of experts from different specialties that uh, they're dedicated to patients' care, along also with the resources of the Oshner Cancer Center and clinical trials and everything. We have highly skilled surgeons, interventional radiologists, radiomedicine doctors who provide PRT, medical oncologists like me, palliative care doctors, integrative oncology doctors, navigators, dietitians, psychologists. And we all work together as a team. We have specialized knowledge that can make all the differences in treatment, quality of life, and patient uh, recovery. Yeah, and I'll say that I'll, I'll add that the hub of all this, I think, is as you alluded to earlier, was the multidisciplinary team, the tumor board. Um, you know, when you when you have a tumor board where everybody's there together at a given time and reviewing these patients together, um, you know, new ideas come up as to how we can t- uh, tackle something, um, and fewer things are missed. Um, I, I think that's great, and I think uh, I think our tumor board works pretty well. Attendance is is good, and, you know, and people really make an effort to. Be be there to contribute, to bring patients, to review the imaging beforehand, to review the pathology beforehand. And so, you know, it's it's high yield. And um, I can say that it's probably been um, been the thing that I think makes the most difference. Yeah, I agree. For our next recurring segment, fact or fiction, I'm going to propose a statement to each of you, and I want you to tell me if this is, is fact or fiction. So, Dr. Marsala, fact or fiction, neuroendocrine tumors because of the name, arise from nerve tissues and are involving the central nervous system. Fiction. Care to expound? No. <laughs> it's not just the, the nervous system. I mean, it's uh, neuroendocrine cells, which can be found in many different parts of the body. So, you know, the most common location would actually be somewhere in the gastrointestinal tract. Right. So I think a lot of patients hear this and they think, oh my gosh, this, does this involve my brain? Does this involve my spinal cord? And it very, very infrequently involves those right. spaces. Right. So Fiction. Uh, Dr. Du, here's one for you. I was just diagnosed with neuroendocrine tumor. I need chemotherapy immediately. That's what my family member who had another tumor in the same part of the body got. Uh, I need this either taken out or chemotherapy immediately. Fiction. Like we just discussed, it's a wide spectrum of disease. So for a low-grade neuroendocrine tumor, when it's localized, a lot of patients can just undergo surgery to get it taken out. Even with metastatic disease, like stage 4 disease, when it's spread to other parts of the body, um, low-grade, well-differentiated neuroendocrine tumor can take years and years before it really grows. So some patients may not even need any treatment, let alone chemotherapy. Fact or fiction? Uh, Dr. Du, I'll pose this one to you. I have 
neuroendocrine tumor that has spread throughout my body. Uh, I've been told there's nothing I can do. Is that's true? Fiction. I think we always have treatment options. Some people may not need treatment, like we discussed before. If it's very slow growing, it's low tumor burden. Like we can wait. We don't have to jump on treatment.、Um, with the treatment, we have lisenostatin, lamiotide. We, when people progress on that, we also have PRT and chemo pills that people can take. If it's like aggressive, high grade, poorly differentiated, we have chemotherapy, usually given through the IV. Yeah, and just to echo that, I think、I've, some of the more impressive imaging scans I've seen are patients with widespread metastatic neuroendocrine tumors, and they come in my office and are completely without symptoms. And you look at their scan and say, "Man, if this was any other cancer, they'd be hospitalized."、Right. Uh, just thinking about how bad their symptoms might be, and they walk in there and you have no idea. Put them on an injection like lanreotide, and they've been doing fine. So it's definitely a different beast for a lot of these patients. Right, it's completely different from the the more common cancer that we usually think about. Well, thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate you discussing this、uh, important. Tumor type and really the variations within it, and what we have uniquely that we can offer at Ashner、uh, for our patients. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Definitely wouldn't have missed it, and、uh, appreciate the invitation. So, if you or someone in your family has been diagnosed with a neuroendocrine tumor, I hope this episode can give you some guidance on the diagnosis, evaluation, and treatment options available. The Ashner Neuroendocrine Tumor Program uses a collaborative. Multidisciplinary approach to treatment of patients across all stages of cancer, with the latest surgical, interventional radiation and medical therapies to help patients not only survive but thrive. We tailor our treatments to our individual patients and utilize the most up-to-date medical evidence to guide our recommendations. To schedule an appointment with a cancer specialist at Ashner, go to ashner.org. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I'm Dr. Mizrahi with the Ashner Cancer Institute. I'll see you next time on the All In Against Cancer podcast.